Ghost Manual Horror Host here. So today's just a story story. If you are a member of the graveyard shift, this is one you may not wish to listen to, my children. Graveyard Shift by Ron Ripley. Alan had worked at five separate nursing homes prior to taking a maintenance position at the Ray Chandler home in Hingingham, Massachusetts. He'd also, also been let go from each of the previous five establishments. Not fired, no, never fired, Alan thought, grinning. Too careful for what for that to happen. His grin spread to a smile as he filled the mud bucket with hot water. Bubbles foamed directly beneath the heavy flow from the spigot of the customer's closet and strong comforting smell of cleanser fillings. Cleanser filling the small room. While the water levels rose in the dark bucket, Alan quickly glanced out of the doorway. When he saw no one was around, he ducked back and checked his stash in an old laundry detergent bottle, marked clearly with the words Vomit Cleaner. On masking tape, Alan hid his gems, his extra source of income, a pain meds he swiped from the residence. Mostly massive relaxers mixed with occasional oxy. He was never ever 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 handed, only stealing one or two each shift. Any more and people would notice. Though he figure it out, so eventually anyway, Alan thought tucking the vermin cleaner back down beneath a stack of one ply toilet rolls. He turned off the water carefully backed out into the hole that he held into the smooth handle of the mop and looked around. Two in the morning on the graveyard shift and the fourth floor was quiet. Perfect, Alan thought. When it was quiet, he usually could find his, he could usually find his insurance. The reason why he'd been let go, but never fired. No, he grinned. Never fired. Not Alan Wells. In the quiet mornings, hours of the morning, when you start the worst insomnics have gone to sleep, the nurses and staff showed they were, were worse than a group of hormone-readied teens at a boy-girl sleepover. Alan caught plenty of the people in compromising situations. And never with their spouses. Alan always made a big production out of that discovery too. Oh, I'm so sorry, he would say. This is so embarrassing. He would scurry out to the room or office and never took pictures. Pictures could, could be seen as evidence of blackmail. He's far on a foot. Who needs pictures? They live in fear of me telling their husband or wife. Fear of me doing going to the press and saying, I was fired because I caught Nancy, Nurse Nancy with Dr. Dan. The idea made him chuckle, 
any sort of investigation would show. He didn't use the pills he stole, but sold them instead. He had a different addiction, a problem of horses, and how they ran. He never pick a winner, Alan sighed, shaking his head. He didn't want to go to the papers. It knew he it would have been bad for everyone. Better to quietly suggest they let him go. They always did. He always got another job. Janitors were in high demand at nursing homes. No matter how much you clean, Alan thought stopping at the nurse's station. You can never get the smell of death out of the air. Hey, Alan, Mary Beth said, coming out of the back of the station. Hey, yourself. Alan said, grinning. He put the mop in the winger, squeezed it out, and began to clean around the desk. He liked Mary Beth. She never gave him a hard time at his job. She always looked, took care of it. So he always took care of her area first. He stifled a yawn and asked, "You did you tell? Did they tell you Doctor Chandler was coming to do the rounds at three? Alan paused, saying, "No, he is." Mary Beth said, "You, you, you might, you may want to take a break then. It's a little different. Contradictory. If the first shift's advisor." She'll be here with him. I'll take my break then. When you stay show up, you're welcome to join me. Thanks, Alan, Alan said. But I'm not. But but I'm not. I've got to leave early, so to, so no break for me. Just a quick cigarette. I'll take it at three to be on the safe side. Right, Alan. Mary Beth said. She yawned again, shook her head and started to work on the computer. Alan whistled to himself as he mopped the floor. He moved steadily from the nurse's station, away from the nurse's station. Dr. Chandler coming in, Alan thought happily, and with the head nurse at three, three in the morning, sometimes he thought, whistling a little louder. It's just too easy. For nearly an hour, Alan worked steadily. Attempted to clean the uncleanable at 2.55 a.m., Mary Beth found him. You, you may want to grab that cigarette now, Alan, she said softly. You're here. Thanks, he said, pushing the mop and bucket into a corner by the fire door. I'll grab and smoke some be outside. She nodded. Do you do yourself a favour, stay out there until you they see you leave, alright? Best to give them a long time. Sure thing. Mary Mary Beth smiled, glanced nervously back towards the centre of the wing and then left. Alan wandered back to the Sconian's closet and went in and got his cigarette and lighter out of his coat pocket. He made sure to pass by the nurse's nurse's station to get a look at the lovebirds. They were the oddest couple he had ever seen. Katrinka Dikusov was middle-aged, shorter than average. She looked as though she had worked in a circus as a strong man. Her face was broad, slightly tanned, and topped with platinum blonde hair.
kept a ninny bun at the back of her head. Dr. Chandler was the popular opposite. He was tall and meticulously so. He looked as though he'd have hit it. he could, would have hit his head if he did not duck when he passed through a doorway. His skin was exceptionally pale. It seemed as though he was vapor thin. His arms and legs were longer than he should have been, bare wrists showing the, where his shirt sleeves ended. He was bald too, and his skull was slightly elongated, almost coming to a point in the back. I might have taken. I might have to take pictures of this. Adam thought gleefully, as he kept a solemn promise on his face. Bet I could sell them on some dirty website. He smiled at the curious people, retreated near and simulated nodes in reply. Simulated no, nodes in reply. Made his way by way to the elevator. He rode it down to the ground floor. Hurried over to the service elevator and took to the third floor. A trick, he reminded himself. It was to be quick and quiet from the third floor. He took the back stairs to the fourth and slipped out to the wing. He stood in the corner of his mop, by the corner of his mop, and listened. He would not go long now, he thought. Over the years, Alan had learned how to be patient, so he waited and listened. Soon he heard them the noises coming from Mr. Goodrich's room. Alan sighed, disgusted. Poor Mr. G, he thought. The old man was in the room himself, and he'd do it there while he's sleeping. He shook the disgusted feeling off and crept along the hall to Mr. Gunter's room. Mr. Wilkins, Gunter's former roommate, had passed away the week before. People usually got new roommates quickly, but not Mr. Gunterson. But this is why, Adam thought, wondering, opening the front open door, so he would have a little meeting guy. On the other meds, he'll never notice what they're up to. Alan stopped at the placard under the room number and listened. One of the room's beds creaked and moaned. Someone was panting and moaning. A bed of clay was slamming into the wall. A smile moved across Alan's face as he quickly got it under control. It wouldn't not take long, like the cat who caught the, caught the canary. Not when, but when he needed to pretend a surprise, Alan took a deep breath, allowed a mask of innocence to step away, step over his face as he stepped into the doorway. I'm sorry, Alan started, but the rest of the senses died. In his mouth, the scene before him robbed him of the ability to speak, almost of the power to think. Mr. Ronson was on the bed, and blankets thrown off and lying in a heap on the linen floor. His flannel pyjama sheet was torn open, a button shining in pale red light of the bed lamb's light. Pale skin splashed with blood. Red blood greeted Alan's eyes, as did the sight of Katrina Grosfurt perched on the old man's frail legs. Her hands were wrist deep in Mr. Gunnison's open stomach. Some unknown organ held lovely in front of her. 
the same blood which stained the old man's flesh had spread around her lips and muscles in her jaw slowly, steadily, as she chewed her grim food. Katina was looking at Alan. Her eyes were brilliant, breathing, breathtakingly blue. Alan found he could not look away from her. She swallowed, took another bite, recently deceased Mr. Cousins in the works, and never took a gaze from Alan. Run, he thought of himself. Her legs would not, his legs could not, not obey. Turn around, run, he commanded. His body refused. He remained perfectly still, unable to move or stop watching the horror before him. The whisper of a footstep reminded him of Dr. Chandler. The tall man ducked his head and stepped out of the dark in the bathroom. He looked closely at Alan and then to Karina. The doctor's voice was deep and grating as he spoke to the woman, and words unintelligible language. Alan had ever heard before. Katrina, Oddie, place the remnants of the organ on Mr. Gunderson's thin chest and climbed down. Dr. Chandler's large hand wrapped firmly around Alan's biceps, and suddenly Alan was walking. His steps were mechanical, obeying as someone else's command. He was marched drunkenly to the bedside of the late Mr. Gunderson and forced to stand in front of Katrina. The woman picked up a wet wipe from the bed table, tore the small packet open, and removed the thin, soft paper from within. In her silence, she unfolded it, the sharp smell of the cleaner, stinging Alan's nose for, with careful, delicate movements. She cleaned the blood from her face and her hands. Finally, she deposited a wipe upon the organ and looked at Alan. Well, she said, smiling at him. This is quite the predicament we find ourselves in, is it not? Alan wanted to answer, but he couldn't, but he could not. No, Katrina said, you cannot answer me. I don't want you to. I've heard enough of whining from likes of you for one day. No matter pressing you do, it's so mind-boggling. Dr. Chandard asked her a question in a strange language and nodded. She nodded, smiling. My familiar is concerned about you, Katrina said, walking up to Mr. Cutter's easy chair and sitting down. It's been decades since someone so rude was to walk in on me. He's wondering what we are to do with you. I'm sure you're wondering the same. Please let me go, Alan thought to shout. I, did, I won't say a word, I promise. I'm certain... Katrina continued, that right now you're saying, you, you, you keep saying, we'll keep your mouth shut. I do believe you, by the way. You are quite frankly ranked with fear. I know when someone tells the truth, and you don't. When they mean what they say, or whether they not, I'm able to do what they promise. You, and you mean what you say, and you could would do, would do, would do it, it as well. 
Oh, thankful. Alan said tears. Oh, thank for God. Alan said tears welled in his eyes, and he felt to what he felt a relentless rush, relief rush within, through him simultaneously. This is that's being said. Said she. She said, smiling, "I'm not letting you go." A cold wave of fear slammed into Alan. No, not at all. Because you're modern society, I am forced to feed on the likes of this. She said, gesturing towards Mr. Grimes's corpse, younger though not necessary fresh meat, is so rare available to me. I think that Baba Yar had brought me down so low. Mr. Tennant spoke, and she shrugged. I don't didn't mean. If it doesn't matter who he knows my name or not, she said, sighing as she stood up. I'll be having his tongue for breakfast. Bring him home, my dear. I guess you'll be as soon, soon as I finish dinner. Panic swelled. Swarmed over Alan as he turned. Dr. Tanner stood directly behind him. A man's pale face was emotionless, emotionless. His smart figure was masked like no real in a child's Halloween costume. His heart thundering in his chest, Alan tried to run past the man. Dr. Tanner's great hands were fast and for a moment. Alan was slapped, across, slapped backward. He spun, smacked into the wall. Ragged and fell into Mr. Grimm's bureau. Pictures tumbled, the frame fell, and the glass smashed on the cold floor. Alan slipped off the edge of the bureau, a throbbing pain exploring, exploding in his hips. He caught himself as he dropped down, screaming as the glass cut out into the palms of his hand and the tips of his fingers. Still, he struggled to get to his feet, his mind racing. He could no longer think coherently, his eyes locking onto the steady drip of blood from Mr. Kutsuda's blood bed. Dr. Baba Yoda's tall, strange familiar looked stepped closer, and Alan weakly swung a lacerated hand towards him. A woman laughed, spoke in a curious language, and her familiar responded with a foot to Alan's ribs. <coughs> Alan gargled, Bill springing from his mouth, his ribs breaking beneath the force of his blow. He dropped painfully to the floor, glass cutting deeply into his face. Seconds later, Alan felt himself being picked up easily by Dr. Chandler. The strange man created him like against his chest. The first time he realised the doctor was cold to touch, there was no heartbeat to hear, hear beneath the man's breath. Oh, Christ, Alan thought. Oh, Jesus Christ, what have I done? I didn't mean it. I didn't mean any of it. Christ Almighty, is it, is it worth it? The sounds of Bobby Yaga's face filled his ears and gasped for breath and unable to carpet. The sounds of a breath feast filled his ears, and Alan, grasping his breath and able to move or scream, wept as he was carried away from the room. 
And that is the end of these ghost stories I have read to you. I hope you've enjoyed them. I try to find some more, my friends. So good night, my children, to the next story ends.